people are too cool Around the world to ease my troubled mind I left my body laying somewhere in the sands of time But I watched the world flow to the dark side of the moon I fear there's nothing I can do yeah. I watch the world float to the dark side of the moon After all I knew it had to be something to do with you I really don't mind what happens now and then As long as you be my friend at the end if I go crazy, then will you still call me Superman? If I'm alive and love, will you be there holding my hand? I'll keep you by my side with my superhuman might. Okay, great. So that was off, wasn't it? Nobody could hear me. That's great. Just had that. Fantastic. Take it from the top, right? Wednesday, October 6th. It's a fucked up day. How's that? <laughs> no sound was there either. So um, it was a messed up day. Lots to do. Phoebe got her braces off today. You know, Hera's having problems with the Great Dane. But then Hera also called me and said, oh my gosh, mom, did you see Twitch leak shit? Oh my gosh. And she's like, but that, that those numbers can't be true. And I was like, well, it's leaked. And she was like, well, my numbers would be on there too, but it shows what they make, not what the people make. And it's like, it doesn't matter. People can, you know, cut that in half and remove what other stuff. She's like, no mom, it's wrong. But still though, how is that guy making like a million a month? You mean Twitch is making a million dollars off of this streamer for a month? And it's like, wow, not bad for a college dropout. Why not? He plays video games. Um, so we were having that conversation. She's like, it wasn't a leak, was it? And I was like, no, it was the IRS. <laughs> they want that $600. They want to see how it's done. You know, when people say that they hack things, it's usually because they want your information, right? They want, um, you know, your information. That's all they want. Uh, Social Security, your bank account information, your name. This was all a raid of data. This is why this is happening. They just wanted your data and that's, that's it. YouTube doesn't have to get hacked. They're handing that shit over, <laughs> but probably will get hacked too just to cover their asses on privacy, right? That's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. Now, a lot of people talk about crypto. Crypto has been on fire lately. Um, when Facebook went down, all these um, tokens started to go up. A lot of movement there. But, you know, I've, I've, I've talked about crypto before, but not so much in the investing part because I do. I have some crypto. Um, I mean, I even <clears throat> get my tips in crypto. Uh, you know, I've, I've already stated, you know, digital currency is where they want to take it. Not because they want to, but because they don't want to lose control. See, cryptocurrency delays this market from getting fucked up. So cryptocurrency, in essence, kind of buffers their ability to just print money and do shit. That's basically what happens. Just so you understand why they don't like it and why they want to control it. But the problem is the way it's set up, they can't control it because the minute they take heed, like they took, they took hold of Bitcoin, right? So they grab Bitcoin, right? And they're monitoring that and they got everything. They're, 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 the feds are all over that. 
globally, right? The problem that they have is all the others, they can't. Every single day, there's a new cryptocurrency and money is only the value you give it. And what I found interesting was that Elon Musk actually shares the same sentiment. I like cryptocurrency because it gives more power to the people to define what, uh, what, what currency is value. Because currency is only valuable if you give it value. If you tell me, hey, here's three gold coins, and I believe that the gold coin is valuable, then I'll be like, whoa. But if I think gold coins are as valuable as, you know, used toilet paper, then it means nothing to me. Does that make sense? So cryptocurrency is just like the stock market. The more people hold that coin, the more it trades, but there's only a fixed amount. So if I like invent a currency and there's only a hundred of those coins, you bet your ass on it. The minute all hundred coins are owned by people, that price is going to skyrocket. That's basically, I'm, and this is just kind of dumbed down bare bones statement. Um, so, you know, the minute they take over cryptocurrency, there's going to be another one and another one and another one. The problem that they're having, though, is that cryptocurrency is creeping up into the real market. And that's where they have a problem, because how do they tax you on it if they don't see it? And that's what they want to do. They want to be able to see it so they can take your money. Here's what Elon had to say about cryptocurrency. Quite an interesting interview. Take a listen. I can't uh, speak to exactly why they don't like it that much, but uh, people can speculate for various reasons. Cryptocurrency is fundamentally aimed at um, reducing the power of a centralized government. Yes, it is. And that they, they don't like that. That's my guess. Okay. So what do you think is going to happen? I mean, maybe the audience has... Really, people should think of any kind of uh, money system whether it's a store of value or currency, as, as really a form of information. If you apply information theory to money, whether it's cryptocurrency or some other form, um, and view it in terms of, uh, you know, how good is it at um, sort of bandwidth, latency, uh, jitter, dropping packets, which is, you could say like fraud is like losing packets or something on the network, and, um, you know, it's overall security, then I think a lot of these things just, Seem just make make a lot of sense in that sure. in that regard. Like any form of money has no power in and of itself, except as an exchange of uh, value between people uh, for goods or services, or to translate uh, things in time, like a loan. So, is this the right thing for governments to do to take control of it? Is it possible? I, I, it is not possible to, I think, destroy crypto, but it is possible for governments to slow down its advancement. There's some value to cryptocurrency. I don't think it's like the, sep the second coming of the Messiah, which some people seem to think. It, it, it will hopefully reduce the error and latency in the money system, the legacy money systems, and reduce the, you know, uh, governments have a habit of um, editing the money database, um, which is like probably some ancient mainframe somewhere in Virginia, Ryan Coble, FI. So, you know, when governments can't, keep the hand out of the cookie jar and edit the money database, there's probably some value to that. You're saying you're not an expert, but you spend a lot of time tweeting about it. Why is that of interest to you, crypto? I do know a lot about the money system and payments and how it actually works, as opposed to, say, how uh, economists think it works. Money is just a... Basically, the, the monetary system is a series of heterogeneous databases uh, that uh, are not real-time, with the exception of PayPal and a few others. Um, and engage and to reconcile on a batch basis uh, 
you know, that, that may take anywhere from 24 hours to several days. Um, and um, so it's just, it's slow. That's just a lot of latency and jitter. And uh, it's, the uh, ACH system is has basically no security. So basically what um, Elon was saying is that cryptocurrency can actually, I mean, you can see it on its merit on how it gets traded and what it does, but you have to see it as uh, a container of value. And it is the value that the people give to it that matters, right? If you give it zero value, it's worth nothing. I mean, you know, um, I've purchased cryptocurrency that people are making, uh, you know, $10 for like a million coins. And, you know, it's still worth zero dollars, right? Uh, hoping one day it will. Shiba Inu, on the other hand, damn, what happened there, right? That shit just skyrocketed yesterday, like 70%. Um, and you know, you buy it for pennies. It's literally five zero placements below, you know, a, a penny. And now it just moved up one notch. So that means if you bought a hundred dollars worth of Shiba today, it's worth, you know, a thousand and then tomorrow, 10,000. I mean, it just grows and grows and grows. Um, so cryptocurrency is uh, a way to play the market. It's gambling. You, you know, I've, I've had a cryptocurrency that was worth like 60 bucks. And then as I'm in the airplane, this currency goes nuts and it's 60,000. I'm like, Fuck, I can't get on and do any swaps and get rid of it. By the time I land, it's worth less than what it was before <laughs> because, you know, people just sold it off and it crashed completely. And it's like, no, <laughs> right. Um, so it's gambling and you have to know <laughs> when to pull out and when not to. And, you know, I haven't had much luck yet. Right. But, but it's like, I can totally understand why some people freak out, right? When it happens. So, um, you know, some people freak out because they're putting their investments. Do not enter the crypto market with your hard earned cash that you may need ever, right? Um, that's, that's the one thing. And then a lot of people that make the coins and they kind of sell it. You know, we patriots are going to have our own, but we're not going to use the blockchain. So that way the feds can't get to it. It's going to be the most incredible cryptocurrency. It's going to be above like the blockchains there. They have are good, but they're still not a hundred percent secure. Leaks can happen and keys are only within the wallets, not within the code itself. So this is what I need to get time carved out to work on. And I'm hoping that in January I get that, you know, two week lull until SCOTUS. It'll be just a two week lull at the end of January where I can probably just sit and, and revisit the code and kind of decompress a little bit. So that's what I'm hoping for. Now, a lot is happening you know, suddenly everyone's talking about the quo warranto. Not like I said that that was going to happen, but whatever. But a lot of you have dug up some old episodes, and um, and it's actually quite funny because I was I was looking at the at the um, at the comments, and you guys get it. See, see, it's always about embracing the people that are going to uh, promote your message, right? And 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 do right for the people. And, you know, you, you, you embrace them and you tell them, yes, it's all about the people. Yes. It's all about truth. Yes. It's all about transparency, right? Just a lot of 
you embrace them when you see that they come in, you know, in the right sense. But when you see that they're veering off and they're not so kind, you try to spank them in the right way, right? And it didn't happen. So I know a lot of you heard that episode from 2019 where I actually promoted those two guys, what is it, Matrix and Shady Groove. <laughs> now, if you listen to that, and I know a lot of you heard a lot of things because your, your ears are very different now. Imagine if I had one of those with Sather. That was nothing. That was subtle. It would have blown his mind, but whatever. Anyway, so we have a lot going on, a lot of things happening. Uh, you know, that physician, like I said, that put her affidavit about, you know, the army physician that put her affidavit in, she withdrew it and she's disappeared. I mean, it's whatever, right? Uh, we have judges now across the nation striking down mask mandates in schools, um, SCOTUS is going to get hot. It's really going to get hot. There's a lot going on. And while, while many think that, 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 that the pen, follow the pen, <laughs> did not mean follow somebody's pen. It meant follow the actions of the pen. You are the pen. You are making change with your pens. Today, I was um, I was praying at some point when uh, Ruffian had our, our Great Dane had a little bout, and I was thinking, oh, please, Lord, you know, at least let Hera be with her dog, where her dog is running in, you know, a yard and and chasing a deer or something, just to be more at peace than the turmoil of being up in that nasty place, Minot, where she doesn't get that, you know, freedom. And as I was praying, the only thing after, like I, I said my prayer and then the only thing that came to my mind was your faces of just how incredible you guys are. Maybe it was because, you know, um, one person who filed their writ um, had their puppy with them, two of them, <laughs> which I loved. But all I could remember is, you know, your faces and just how incredible it is to watch you. You guys are soldiers. And I, I don't know if you realize it. I don't know if you guys realize just what kind of change you're making. You're making an insane change for the world for all of America, for every single American that doesn't even know your name yet. They will, because you guys are incredible. What you have done is put your name and your face and yourself forward saying, no, I'm fighting for my nation. Here I am. That's what a warrior is. That is what a patriot is. That is exactly how our forefathers pictured the United States of America, where every single person would stand up for their community and for those that cannot speak. It was the most, you know, incredible feeling. So as I'm there inundated with sadness, I suddenly felt so much joy because of everything that you guys have been doing. I mean, the fact that I saw this graphic with um, 
the whole nation with green. It's like five states are left to write writ of mandamuses. This is a big deal. It is a very big deal. And this is how we give new life to our nation. We are resurrecting our nation. And it is our fault that it was annihilated in the first place. We were busy trying to chase the dream, trying to do what we thought was right. You know who said it best? At a time in history, we who are free must proclaim anew our faith. This faith is the abiding creed of our fathers. It is our faith in the deathless dignity of man are governed by eternal moral and natural laws. This faith defines our full view of life. It establishes beyond debate those gifts of the Creator that are man's inalienable rights and that make all men equal in his sight. In the light of this equality, we know that the virtues most cherished by free people, love of truth, pride of work, devotion to country, all our treasures equally precious in the lives of the most humble and of the most exalted. The men who mine coal and fire furnaces and balance ledgers and turn lathes and pick cotton and heal the sick and plant corn all serve as proudly and as profitably for America as the statesmen who draft treaties and the legislators who enact laws. It decrees that we, the people, elect leaders not to rule, but to serve. It asserts that we have the right to choice of our own work and to the reward of our own toil. It inspires the initiative that makes our productivity the wonder of the world. Equality among all his brothers betrays the spirit of the free and invites the mockery of the tyrant. It is because we, all of us, hold to these principles that the political changes accomplished this day do not imply turbulence, upheaval, or disorder. Rather, this exchange expresses a purpose of strengthening our dedication and devotion to the precepts of our founding documents, a conscious renewal of faith in our country, and in the watchfulness of a divine providence. Hmm. Hmm. Get in. We're going to go do some patriotic shit today. Jeff City, here we come. Tell him, Waffle. You tell him. Tell him. Freedom! Yeah, freedom! That's what's up. See, I love it. I love the red lipstick, too. Love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it. See, that's the first thing that came to my mind, you know? After my prayer, that's what came to my mind. And then all these other faces came forward. You know, Maine came forward. Like I just had a slew and it was, it totally lifted me up because we are so burdened right now with what they are doing. It is the most incredible thing that I have ever seen. I mean, the whistleblower. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what do you mean both parties? There's not two. There's one. That's fact. See, CNN loved 
the whistleblower that they created to whistleblow to ask for more censorship. Take a listen. That often seems proudly dysfunctional. Yesterday's hearing on Facebook seemed like a throwback to a more bipartisan era. Now, unfortunately for Facebook, the senator's common ground was a resounding dislike of their business practices. But covering governing can strain people's attention, even when the target for reform is declared one of the most powerful corporate giants in the history of the world, according to one lawmaker, whose, problem, whose products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. Now, let's cut through the noise and look at three social media reforms that seem to be gathering traction across partisan lines. Now, the first big point of consensus seems to be the reform of Section 230. That's the law that shields platforms like Facebook from lawsuits on the basis of content that's posted by users. I think that it will be this Congress and this subcommittee that is going to lead the way to online privacy, data security, Section 230 reforms. Hold big tech accountable by re reforming Section 230. I'm also a firm supporter of reforming Section 230. Now, the fact that Republicans and Democrats seem to oppose Section 230 for vastly different reasons is an irony to talk about another day. But the star witness, Facebook whistleblower Francis Haugen, had a usefully nuanced and targeted take on the right approach to reform. Reforming Section 230 to um, exempt decisions about algorithms, right? So um, modifying 230 around content, I think, has uh, it's, it's very complicated because uh, user-generated content is something that companies have less control over. They have 100% control over their algorithms. And Facebook should not get a free pass on choices it makes to prioritize growth and virality and reactiveness over public safety. They shouldn't get a free pass on that because they're paying for their profits right now with our safety. So I strongly encourage reform of 230. Now, the stated focus of the hearing was protecting kids online, spurred by internal Facebook research showing that it knew Instagram could be toxic. For Stop it. Stop. There was an article that I wrote in 2020. And in, in, in fact, uh, at that time, I believe Millie Weaver was at the White House and I was texting her links of actual child pornography that was on Twitter live. It's also on Facebook, right? And Facebook also has protected accounts, meaning you can't screenshot them from your phone, <clears throat> which also have kitty porn. So I don't see how this is what's helping. This is bait. This is how you control the conversation. This is how you control the people so they don't harm your alleged democracy. You mean communism. See, free speech takes down totalitarianism because it doesn't allow, right? It doesn't allow you to not, well, no, it doesn't disallow you. Free speech allows you to question them. Now you cannot be questioned. For example, during the last school board meeting, I noticed that in the third row, and I, I'm going to go through some footage, there was one guy who I saw had a badge inside his jacket. Now, I just assumed that, you know, it's a Fed, and obviously that's fine. But there was another one also sitting in the back, which 
that happened, obviously, because we were going there. And I've caused a bit of a shitstorm considering my federal case is now being quoted in other cases, not just Louisiana. It was quoted in some other random person outside of our groups that filed the lawsuit in, I think, was it New Mexico or Arizona? I don't remember. And one person in California, too, where their TRO was struck down, but not their complaint because they're citing my strike down. So obviously they were there. And then you hear the announcement. Oh, guess what? We're going to start having feds and this new thing. So now we're going to have, you know, feds incognito hanging out at school boards. Why? Free speech. You're not allowed to talk. You're not allowed to question. You're not allowed to do this. And now they're trying to pass laws that say the same thing about election official, election boards. And it's like, listen, dude, if people wanted to take arms and take them out, that shit would have already happened. See, we're not as irrational as others may make us out to be. You come to our house, you start taking our livelihoods and come into our space. That's where you're going to have a problem. Right now, we're patient. We're still free on paper. The minute you start torching that paper, you're fucked. And the thing is, they're hoping to overstep the line. They're hoping that one idiot does it to kill it for all of us. So... What they have is a lot of federal agents that egg people on, you know, kind of let's go kidnap the governor of Michigan. And it's like all feds, one loser. And he's like, hey, if these guys are saying it, sure, why not? Or, hey, let's go have a riot. And it's like only them and nobody really turns up. right? So this is what they're trying to do because they know how dangerous it is if they don't take our weapons first. And that's a problem. This whistleblower isn't a whistleblower. It's so stupid. It's going to backfire so bad, so bad, so bad. The problem that we have is censorship. And it's not just from the left. And it's not just from the elected officials. You're seeing it on right media too. Complete and utter censorship. Listen to me and nobody else. Uh, you know, like I got a lot of crap from you guys because I shared Ghost Edra's post. So you may not like him. I may not like him. Nobody cares. His information, though, was fun, was good, was pertinent, was valuable. So we share it and we look at it. There's no censorship. Censorship is bullshit. That's what commies do. That's what commies do. We shouldn't. We should not promote censorship of any kind. I mean, except for like mainstream media, I'm totally for that. <laughs> totally for that. Uh, just saying. Now, there's there's so much I want. I want to talk about the vaccine. I want to talk about, my gosh, um, parents and child vaccinations. But you know what? I want to talk about something completely random. You know, identity. A lot of people have, you know, can probably not know who they are till many years later, or people try to discover them. For example, there's the case of that missing Alabama boy who turned into a teenager and discovered he was missing. Ever heard of that? Take a listen. And Hernandez was in the legal custody of his mother when he vanished in Alabama back in August of 2002. At the time, he was just five years of age. Fast forward to this past weekend, Jefferson County District Attorney says the 18-year-old was just filling out a college application when he discovered his social security number did not match his name. It was then that he and his school counselor realized he was actually listed in the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children database. And that is when police in Alabama got a phone call. Uh, I received a call from the FBI office in Cleveland asking if they 
Julian Hernandez was still missing. That they saw where he'd been missing since 2002. We did some checking, discovered that he was still reported missing, had not been talked to. Um, they went and talked to him. Um, then they went and talked to the father, and that's when the identification was was made. Short time later, teen's father was arrested. Gene Casares has been working this for us. I mean, 13 years. You've got to be kidding. And the father, Bobby Hernandez, was arrested on really aggravated identity theft in Ohio because he allegedly falsified to get an Ohio state ID, assuming an identity that he was not. There is his mugshot right there. He's being held on $250,000 bail. But you're right. This all started so innocently. A young little 16-year-old trying to go to, college. go to college, right? And it would have been in 2002 when he was five years old that he allegedly was abducted from his mother in Alabama. Now, I just got off the phone with the Vestavia Hills Police Department that tells me, because there are no Ohio charges yet, tells me that federal and state authorities might be looking at right now what charges to bring as we speak. But he also told me, and this is the public information officer, Lieutenant Kevin York, that the mother and father were not married. There may be some issues with charges, he said. It is his biological son, Bobby Hernandez, but he was very well raised and was a very good student. So I actually looked at federal kidnapping laws because it's crossing state lines, sure. right? It doesn't include a parent unless there's been a court order saying that that parental right has been terminated. So a lot we don't know about this story at this point, but we did get a statement from, first of all, let's go with the family, the mother of Julian Hernandez that has not had her son for 13 years. She told CNN, our family was overjoyed this week to locate Julian and learn that he is safe. Mm. We want to thank everyone for their prayers and support during Julian's disappearance. And also the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. They give a little hint of what may be the reality here. They tell us we applaud Julian Hernandez for his courage in taking the first steps to find answers about who he is. How's he doing? Well, the statement from his mother goes on that please give us our privacy yeah. as he is focused on this extremely difficult period of time in his life. It makes you wonder how many Julian Hernandez's there are in the database. I know. Right? Gene Casares, thank you so thank much. You. It, you know, identity is a really, really weird thing. Uh, you know, it's what you're raised with, right? Um, and that, that kid was raised just fine. He was 16, applying for college, right? But when speaking of identity, there are people that you just can't figure it out. And there's people that, you know, everyone wants to deduce identities. And it's really, really hard sometimes. Why? Because we're in a digital era. You know, a lot of people are like, yeah, that's definitely not Pelosi. And you know what? I'm actually going to show that video. That is like one of my favorite Twitch videos I have seen in a long time. The Pelosi video. Did I don't know if you guys are all on Telegram, but I have to say that's 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 one of my favorites right now. Uh, <laughs> because it was like it was so good. Let me let me let me see if I can I can share this. Give me a second. There we go. Here we go. Listen to it, but watch it too. Value. Let's not talk about numbers let's, and dollars. Let's talk about values, something that might violate the bird rule or provisions of privilege, whatever that is. And that's a, 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 a it's, it's not just, um, we have some 
uh, shall we say, bird bath privilege, you know, the kinds of things. How, how, how much in agreement are we are on that? So that adding up what our priorities are should take us to a number. So identity, like Pelosi, right? Her? No. Hunter? Him? No. Kamala Harris? Remember, Laura Loomer freaking ran into her double, her body double in Florida, if you remember. So identities are really hard to pinpoint. Uh, a lot of people are mysterious. Right. And one of those is, you know, and just so you understand the mystery behind things and why, you know, I've, I've been saying since 2019, hashtag face off. You guys have Google, Google it or find it on YouTube. Some videos of face off. Great makeup artist. Great. We've talked about this guys before. That's why when I saw you guys, you know, watching this um, old uh, or listening to this old episode that I did with those people, it was fun to watch people try to determine the identity. Pretty well done, though. Here we go. Take a listen. Planet knows that Batman is really Bruce Wayne. And in the DC universe, quite a lot of people know that as well. In fact, so many people know his true identity that I couldn't even begin to list them all in this video. So you may wonder why I'm even making this video. Well, although many people know who Batman really is, most of them were shown who he was or told that he was Batman. As in, they didn't actually work it out on their own using detective work and logic. Batman either unmastered them or someone else told them. Such as Rachel Ghoul telling his daughter Talia who Batman really was. So the focus of this video isn't about people who know Bruce Wayne as a superhero. It's about the people who were able to deduce his identity on their own. And more importantly, how they did it. Hugo Strange. Now in canon, Hugo Strange was actually the first person to deduce Batman's identity. And how did he do it? Simple. Strange is a genius psychiatrist, and using those skills, he formed a psychological profile who the type of person Batman would be. And then he investigated further to see those who most likely match this. And in Gotham, the best candidate was Bruce Wayne. Though Bruce Wayne was later able to trick Hugo Strange into thinking he was not Batman, even though Hugo Strange had actually seen him without his mask. And in the show Batman the Animated Series, he figured out Bruce Wayne was Batman and had proof because he was using a machine which could see into Bruce Wayne's thoughts. But Dick Grayson used makeup and props to pretend to be Bruce Wayne in front of Batman and convinced Hugo Strange that Batman was a different person entirely. Strange also figured it out using a psychological profile in Batman Arkham City. Though in this version, Batman wasn't able to trick him into thinking he wasn't Bruce Wayne. But it didn't really matter, as Strange took the secret to its grave. Tim Drake Tim Drake is not only one of the people to work out Batman's identity, but he's also most likely the youngest person to ever work it out. How did he do it? Simple. He saw Haley's Circus performing one night back when he was quite little, and back when Dick Grayson was still a performer with his family. And then, years later, he saw Nightwing pull off an acrobatic move that was exactly the same as the one he'd seen Dick Grayson do back in Haley's Circus. And this was a very difficult move that only a few people on the planet can do. So he figured that Nightwing must be Dick Grayson. And so he tracked Dick Grayson and saw that he was adopted by Bruce Wayne. And shortly after the adoption, Batman suddenly had Robin as a sidekick. And so he put two and two together and worked out who Batman really was. Lex Luthor Lex Luthor worked out Batman's identity in a similar way to Tim Drake. During the Forever Evil comic event, it was revealed that Nightwing was Dick Grayson. 
And later in the same comic series, Batman is shown being extremely worried about Dick Grayson and desperately trying to save his life because he's going to die. And Batman becomes uncharacteristically emotional and he completely loses it when he thought Dick Grayson was actually dead for real. And Lex Luthor took note of this and reasoned that the two of them must be very close. And so he tracked Dick Grayson's life. And again, he saw that he was adopted by Bruce Wayne and that Robin then came on the scene. And from that, Lex Luthor was able to see that Bruce Wayne must be Batman. And the same is true of Deathstroke, who figured out the Nightwing was Dick Grayson and followed it to mean that Batman must be Bruce Wayne. Though in the main continuity, he doesn't really care. And this has been retconned around him in different versions. Basically, what I'm saying is in some versions he knows, in some versions he doesn't. To be fair, in most he doesn't. But he did manage to work it out way back when in the main DC universe. Ra's al Ghul Ra's method was very simple. He followed the money. He reasoned that in order to be Batman, a person would need to be rich to be able to afford his gadgets and tech. And so he looked for people rich enough, and then he looked for people who had actually gathered the tech that Batman would need. It was a simple matter for my people to learn which wealthy Americans were amassing what Batman might require. And it's actually because of this that Bruce Wayne changed how he acquired tech and took much greater care to cover his tracks, as he didn't want anyone else to figure out his secret. Amanda Waller also managed to work out his identity in several continuities, and she most likely did it in much the same way as Rachel Ghoul, using her vast government resources to investigate those in Gotham who could be Batman, and then narrowing it down till Bruce Wayne was the only candidate left. Bane. Bane working out Batman's identity is either terrible writing or incredible genius on Bane's part. Basically, Bane had been studying Batman for long enough that when he saw Bruce Wayne, he recognized that he moved like Batman, and he instantly knew who he really was, because he knew his characteristics and movements that well. Now, to be honest, that is a bit thin, and it's not the most impressive one on this list, as it's a very slim reason for him figuring it out. Though this was actually adapted in the Batman Arkham Origins video game, where Bruce Wayne and Batman say a line in exactly the same way. You just ran out of time. You just ran out of time. And from this, Bane is able to work out who he is. Alfred, Bane knows who I am. You're not safe at Wayne Manor. Now, like I say, this is a bit flimsy, really. And it's just a quick way of explaining how Bane works it out, as it created for a better dynamic between the two of them and for a more engaging story, as Bane could attack both Batman and Bruce Wayne. The Riddler. Now, the Riddler was dying of a terminal illness, and there was no way he was going to survive. And so he manipulated events so that he could use one of Rachel Ghoul's Lazarus pits to cure the condition. And it did heal him. And while he was in the pit, he was able to deduce that Batman was actually Bruce Wayne. And he later teamed up with Hush, who of course was Dr. Elliot Thomas, a person who absolutely despises Bruce Wayne. And the two teamed up to take Batman down together. Although following the Infinite Crisis comic event, the Riddler went into a coma for a year and he lost all memory that Batman was actually Bruce Wayne. Which is really lazy writing, if I'm honest. I mean, it's just a quick excuse, and it's not the worst way of someone forgetting. In fact, in that Arkham Origins video game I mentioned, Bane overdoses on the chemical of Venom, and it literally destroys the memory. He's secure, and it appears the TN1 Bane took damaged his memory permanently. Ah, does that mean he won't be revealing your identity? Looks that way. And that doesn't really make any sense either, because why would it destroy that specific memory and not all the rest of his memories? But anyway, I do have to say, though, the best part about the Riddler actually working out that he was Bruce Wayne was that the Riddler would never tell anyone. 
Because as Batman says, the Riddler is obsessed with riddles. And a riddle that everyone knows the answer to is worthless. And so Batman knows he'll never reveal it to the world. That and the fact that if he did actually reveal it to the world, then Batman could tell Rachel Ghoul that the Riddler used one of his Lazarus pits. And Rachel Ghoul doesn't let anyone use his Lazarus pits, and he would send the League of Assassins after him. So it's in the Riddler's best interest to keep it to himself. It's also been made clear that the Joker actually knows who Batman is. In fact, Bruce Wayne has actually visited Arkham Asylum and told the Joker that he is Batman. But the Joker not only doesn't care who Batman really is, he doesn't want to know who he is. And so his psychosis blocks the memory from his mind. Because if he knew who Batman really was, it would spoil the fun that he has fighting him. And those are the people who have figured out Batman's real identity. There are others, of course, here and there across all of the different continuities. He needs you. He's Batman. But the ones I've mentioned in this video are the main ones. Though, if there are any others that you think should have been mentioned, then please let us know in the comments. And I'd just like to say a quick thank you to those who made this video possible by donating to the Needle Mouse Identity. How do we understand that? I identify as this. I identify as that. Your identity, your personal identity, your information is the most precious thing you have. Why? Because it is with your identity that you can go to school, purchase a vehicle, a home, get a loan, have a credit card and a bank account and vote. It is you on paper or digital format. Now, I'm going to remind you something just so you can see how hacks are not really hacks. Who houses all of the government documentation for the government? Is it Google or is it Amazon? It's Amazon. Amazon has not mandated vaccines yet. They're waiting for OSHA, right? AWS, Amazon Web Services, right? They have everything. Remember how Google, Pachai, who used to work for McKinsey, if you remember that, was very upset. So what happens when Amazon is hacked and um, all this information is released, data, that they're like, oh, here you go. You mean here you go? I just doxed millions of people around the world. It's a good thing. You laugh about it? That someone now has your address, social security number, bank details, that's okay? Is that okay? It's not. Twitch is Amazon. And what they just demonstrated is, is that there were open holes or it was an inside job from someone within the federal government, of course. There is no Anon bullshit. There is no, I'm hacking it. They did that to trash the Amazon contract. You'll see how I'm right again. That's exactly what they did because they need to hand it over to Google, which is, you know, you want, of course. So now what people need to see is that hacks are not really hacks, right? They're actually stealing information and data 
that people can use. DNC was hacked. RNC was hacked. OPM was hacked. This was hacked. Bullshit. Bullshit. How did they not catch him? Where are they? How many people have you seen arrested for the DNC hack? Zero. How many people did you see arrested for the OPM hack? Zero. How many people did you see get arrested for the RNC hack? Zero. How many did you see hacking anything else? Walmart, Target, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, PNC. How many people did you see get arrested for that hack? Zero. Again, <sighs> Coinbase was hacked. Yeah, probably some idiot got dusted with crypto and let the, the let the door in. But it wasn't a fucking hack. It was let's see who has crypto. They were targeting a specific address and had to leak a portion of where it was housed, the whole server that that was housed. That's how they do it. Inside job. Not a hack. It's a big deal. It's a very, very, very big deal. I just, I don't know what to say. Now, before we go to break, I want to share a really weird, oddly timed interview. I was just like, what the heck is going on here? Why is this happening today? <laughs> like, I don't know. But here we go. This is going to blow your mind. The real Monica Lewinsky, not Beanie Feinstein, who you saw depicting her there. Uh, Monica serves as a producer on the series. She's also producing a new documentary on HBO Max, a warm media cousin of ours here at CNN. It's called 15 Minutes of Shame. And I, and I want to start with that documentary, if we can, uh, Monica, uh, which I watched. And, and it's really uh, very powerful. And it's also kind of very relevant uh, right now because it focuses on the role that social media plays in in ruining people's lives, often unfairly. Uh, as you see Facebook in the news um, and reports that its leaders knew about the danger Instagram poses on teenagers and went ahead with the algorithm anyway, you talk about this a bit in the, in the, in the documentary about what needs to happen with social media to protect people. What, do you have any ideas about what you think should happen with social media companies in the U.S. To, so they're serving more of a good and less of a you know, a, a service to a mob? Mm -hmm. Well, I have a, um, you know, a laundry list of, of ideas. People who know me well know I'm constantly coming up with ideas, whether or not they're good or bad, I don't know. But I think that, that sort of more importantly, what we've seen kind of from yesterday, and I think it, it's worth mentioning that Frances Haugen, of, of, in testifying how brave she was, because in part, what our doc is looking at is this online behavior that happens. And women and people from marginalized communities are torn apart way more online. So to come forward as a whistleblower in that sense is um, is very brave. And I think that what she was also talking about and, and um, really showcasing to with the algorithm and the, um, the focus on the outrage, you know, where the doc comes into all of this too, is that if you think about the stonings that happened way back when, the stone that you're picking up and throwing in the kind of firestorm of outrage is usually and often is public humiliation and shame. That's how we get angry. I mean, there are other ways we do it, too. But I think that that's where, you know, this all blends together. Um, but I uh, to sort of answer your question more directly, I absolutely think that that all of the social media companies, um, even though they are trying, they can definitely do better and they need to do better. Uh, you, you take a look at what is often called cancel culture, the idea of trying to cancel somebody. So you take a, a socio 
a political look at what that means. There's a woman in the doc who very interestingly says that cancel culture is not really the right term for it. And, and uh, I, I, that, I think that's something you also uh, agree with. Yeah, I, you know, for me, I think when you um, look under the hood of cancel culture, you really come to see and understand that we are talking about myriad behaviors and myriad consequences. And what, you know, what can happen if we start to call everything cancel culture is that we're losing the nuance and the importance. I mean, if you think about, in some ways, we call it shaming for change in the doc. So if you think about things like Black Lives Matters or Me Too, that there are ways that public shaming can help shape um, sort of social behavior in, in important ways. So I, I just think that as a society, we need to kind of carve out what are we talking about um, and what are the punishments that we're meeting out? Who's the one to do that? And stop really, um, I think, using the, the umbrella term is, is creating a, a social chaos. Yeah, I mean, a, 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 a guy who sexually harasses women, he's not being canceled. That's accountability. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, um, Roxanne Gay calls it, I think, as you just mentioned, but Roxanne Gay calls it consequence culture. Yeah. And Kara Swisher, I believe, calls it accountability culture. Yeah. And I think that those distinctions are very important. You know, we we, we like to have a catch-all phrase for everything in society, but that, that doesn't work well here, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and in your doc, you, you tell the stro- story, the true, the true life story about a guy named Emmanuel Cafferty. Mm-hmm. He was a, a utility worker in San Diego, California. He says he was a victim of cancel culture. This was the guy, people might remember this is about a year ago. He has a, he has a twitch. He says he does this with his hand. I don't know if you can see me, Monica, but he's doing this yes. thing. Where he, and, his, and, and somebody took a picture of him thinking he was making a white power symbol. And that went out throughout. Uh, he was driving a San Diego gas and electric truck. That went out in the media, on social media. And then uh, SDG&E, San Diego Gas and Electric, fired him. Uh, and it, it's clear the guy got a, a bum rap. Even the guy that put, take out the, took out the did the tweet to begin with um, admitted that he, he might have misunderstood that this Mexican-American was not a white supremacist. Do you think it's you know time? The company, uh, San Diego Gas and Electric, ha- has a new chairman, Kevin Segarra. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should Kevin rehire Mr. Rafferty? I, I, gosh, I think that would be great. I mean, it's, I think if Cafferty, that's what Emmanuel, so. yeah, if that's what Emmanuel would feel best about. Um, you know, I was really lucky, had a Zoom a couple of weeks ago with the, with the targets that are in the dock. And um, this has been incredibly challenging for him. And, and people will see when they watch the documentary that these are stories, you know, stories of people that they um, may have heard the story before and they will come to learn really surprising aspects of what actually happened, who were these people the yeah. moment before they made some kind of a decision or became public people. And I think that that's really one of the things that um, is very important about what we're trying to do with the doc. Of it's a ninety-minute doc, so we're we're aiming to start a conversation around these kinds of things and and looking at how did we get here. And I don't think I can swear on CNN, but where the you know beep are we going? Yes, I have to disclose full disclosure in tonight's episode. Our G-rated date from December 1997. <laughs> yes. Our one date. Our one date from 1997 is portrayed, I should note, by an actor way better looking than me <laughs> now or then. Um, no. Now, you're a producer on this project. Um, and you show an honest and sometimes uh, unglamorous version of yourself. Why was that important to you? Um, I felt that I shouldn't get a pass as a producer, I think. First of all, I shouldn't get a pass in general, 
you know, I think it's important to take responsibility for mistakes. Um, and I've worked hard to work through those. But in particular with the show, there's so many people who've worked hard on this show. And I, I, it was important to me that the credibility of the show be there. And I, I felt that if I, um, was sort of smoothing over and photoshopping essentially my history in that way, that it, it wasn't right and wouldn't be fair to yeah. everybody. The, the series does not portray you as a victim to Bill Clinton. It portrays you might maybe a victim of the entire scandal and Ken Starr and the media and the, and the like but not as a victim of Bill Clinton. But he is depicted, arguably for the first time in mass media, as something uh, of a predator. Um, I mean, he was 49 years old at the time. You were 22. You worked for him. He was the most powerful person in the universe. What did you make of of that performance uh, by Clive Owen as the president and also of that decision? Right. I think we're seeing aspects um, with Clive's performance. I think we're seeing aspects of Bill that we haven't seen before. And I think that it's, um, you know, I certainly, it wasn't considered a, a victim back then. And I, you know, uh, dance around the victim language a lot. But I think what's really important to remember in, in today's world is that we never should have even gotten to a place where consent was a question. So it was wholly inappropriate as, a, as the most powerful man, my boss, 49 years old, I was 22, literally just out of college. And I think that the power differentials there um, are something that I, I couldn't ever fathom consequences at 22 that I understand, obviously, so differently at 48. You have made conscious choices about when and how to talk about this period of your life. Um, why did this project get the green light when you've turned down so many others? I, you know, I actually, I do, I do make these decisions. Um, I don't make them lightly. I think a lot about the fact of how it impacts my mental state, how it impacts other people, my family included, other people's families um, for these things. And I think that at this point, we were at a, a kind of a, um, a social change in a way that the social landscape was changing with how we were looking at so many different issues that had happened um, that were now ready and important, but also... Um, uh, sorry, I'm blanking on what I was trying to say. But I think the other part of it, too, is that it's also not only just the social landscape is changing, but also how the how the Internet has evolved and what yeah. it's meant to have stories break and be on the Internet and the harassment that, that people who didn't make mistakes like I did endure day after day. Monica Lewinsky, thank you so much. You know, we're Thanks, fans Jake. of yours. Fans? Shit. If you've got fans like that, I'd hate to see what your enemies are like. They trashed her. When the old gods were still in power. You see how that works? Oh, dear God. So let's take a break. And actually watch a video called Dear God. I don't believe. Sometimes it gets hard. Dear God. There's a lot of questions that I have about the past And I don't want to hear it from a human You made it so you're the last person that I'm ever gonna ask Tell me what's real, tell me what's fake Why is everything about you a debate? What's the point of love? Every time I showed it I was broken And it's forced me just to only want to hate Why is it only one you but multiple religions? Why does every conversation end in a division? Why does everybody want to tell us how to live But they won't listen to the same damn message that they give Tell me how to feel, tell me what's wrong I tried to call, pick up the phone They got on my own Everybody says you coming back to man Why the hell's it taking so long? 
why do I hurt? Why is there pain? Why does everything good always have to change? Why does everybody try to profit off another man's work and destroy it just for monetary gain? Tell me all you call you white. I don't even really care. I just really want to know what's right. They've been saying one thing, but I've been looking in the book. And it seems like they've been lying for my whole damn life. Tell me where I'm going. Is it heaven or hell? I just hope this message greets you well. Had a dream that I was walking with the devil. Don't remember how it feels, but I swear that I remember the smell. Looked me right into my eye and told me everything I wanted could be mine if I gave up and decided to sell. But I said I'd rather die than get mine. Now I'm here. No fear, one man with a story to tell. Dear God, where were you when I needed it? When I fucked up and repeated it. When they set the bar and I exceeded it. My life is like a book that they've been judging by a cover, but I've never took the time to fucking read the shit. I remember telling you my goals and my dreams, but you didn't even answer, so I guess you didn't believe in it. I remember sitting with a gun to my head trying to ask you for some help. I don't want religion, I need that spirituality I don't want a church, I need people to call a family I don't want to tell my sins to another sinner Just because he's got a robe and you went to some academy I don't want to read it in the book, I want to hear it from you Don't want to learn it in my school because they hiding the truth Don't want to talk about it to another fucking human being And that's the only reason that I even step in this book, dear God How do I take this darkness and turn it into light? How do I believe in the concept where I speak to a man I've never seen with my own two eyes? How do I know that religion wasn't made just to separate the world and create a whole disguise just to keep us in these chains while the rich get richer and the poor pray to you and perpetuate a lie? How do I know this ain't some big joke? How can I have faith when there is no hope? How the hell does one man have a hundred billion dollars and we still have people on the street that are broke? There's a lot of things I want to talk about and get off my chest. I can't sleep because the devil won't let me rest. I used to know a fucking pastor in a church and I can still hear the screams of the kids even fucking molest. Dear God! supposed to fear you, but you ain't said shit, so maybe it's you who actually fears me, I don't know the answer, I just wanna see it clearly, so many lies, a thousand different theories, all I wanna know is who really made religion, cause I know it wasn't you, but don't nobody believe me, no more lies, no more death, bring back king, bring back X, please dear God, let their souls rest, protect who's left and watch their steps, dear God, I don't wanna have to ask you again, I just hope that you know that I'm still a believer, so I'll end this all, by saying amen. side and he looks us in our face and says our whole lives we've wasted time what if we can't go back what if we can't redo this life and get one second chance what if our future happiness is memories of our past while we burn forever haunted by the devil's last why why do we push them away and why do the ones we work to keep never actually stay why do we focus on tomorrow and forget about today and smile at everybody's face and try and act like we're okay why do we live this way why do we hate why do we fight why do we act like there's time and got more than one life why answer me why 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 
older and looking for truth. I'm holding my faith in my hand, but the pain in this world has been shaking it loose. I used to have so much to gain, now I have so much to lose. They say I'm crazy for looking for answers. I say they're crazy for knocking on proof. Vision is blurred, I'm over concerned. I'm looking to God to see if life with him is something I've earned. The devil's been watching, he's trying to recruit, he's been waiting at every turn. I'm driving this life on the highway to hell, but I won't burn! Fuck. We know the difference, we know what is wrong and we know what is right But Satan is strong, God, and most of your people are losing the fight So what if we fail? What if we can't escape his lies? What if we can't change? What if he still controls our minds? Where do we run? Where do we go? Who do we talk to? We look around and everyone we see is lost to What if life is just some test that we all do? What if you were busy when we called you? What if hell is on earth? What if being born is dying and dying's birth? Would that mean life's not God's gift, but the devil's curse? And to live was to be evil because its words reversed? What if the devil entered a pastor and he led a church? What if we looked for the truth but didn't know where to search? What if the books they said to read have never been your words? What if we chose to follow you but we still had that urge? Will you forgive us for our sins and let us in your world? God, we at the gates. We couldn't see, hear, and touch you, but we had faith. We know we messed up, we human, and we make mistakes. So we just beg and we get in and that you'll have grace. Stop. What if we didn't mean it? What if the place we grew up forgot to teach us? What if we never even got the chance to go and seek it? Then what? Then what? Dear family, we're in scary times. Nobody has answers. Just make sure you spread love. There are so many times throughout the day that I'll be walking down the street, maybe in the supermarket, driving my car. I just look at people. I observe them. And I see potential. But I also see these invisible chains that they have and that they're so heavy. It is so difficult for me sometimes to hold my tongue. And it lashes out in anger. It lashes out in anger because I realize that everything they're doing for the greater good is really evil in disguise. They're not honest with themselves. They're not honest with their own eyes and ears, what their eyes and their ears interpret and what their gut is telling them they fight with the devil's advocate. Logic, <laughs> science, influence operations like the media. And media is not just the news media. We're talking music, movies, television shows, advertisements. I mean, even the whistleblower <laughs> for Facebook is being represented by Jen Psaki's PR firm. I, I think I started to talk about that yesterday. I forgot to, to make that statement or how she started her Twitter account and was instantly verified. These are all games. Your eyes and your ears can see and hear all of it. But for some reason, you aren't interpreting it correctly inside of you. To be able to see the truth for years for the past couple of years, actually, you've watched other people interpret things for you. You've watched other people explain things for you. 
You need no one to explain anything for you. You are more than capable of seeing it all. It's like you're trapped in this mind cage. There's shackles, not just around your ankles and your hand, but your actual mind. It's insanity. So much evil. And it's all down to this notion of self-preservation. Self-preservation. The ugliest quality a human has. Because you're taught to preserve yourself first. Why? Why is it not to preserve the person next to you? Or the child next to you? Or the stranger that ails and is in pain? Why is it that we cannot extend that out? Because if I extend it to the person next to me, then that person will extend it to the person next to them. And suddenly, we're all free of ailments. But it is so incredible to watch the self-preservation, the obedience that people have to their master. And who is that? When I hear people that they should fear God, I think, do you fear your parents? Do you fear them? Is that how you love your parent? The parent that's going to bitch slap you? The parent that will strike you dead on the spot? No. And I've said this before. I mean, I can't even fathom it. How hurt our creator must be with us. That we just can't see it. They have it all. They can see it all. They speak. They sing. They dance. They hear they draw, they paint, they create art. They, 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 they find things in that reality construct to develop and, and, and advance themselves. And yet they still cannot see. It's like the blind leading the blind. There were many that when this COVID came out, they were washing their vegetables, sterilizing the boxes that were being delivered rather than see that, wait a minute, there's people in those factories packing those boxes. People are packed together on buses. Airplanes are not shut down. They're all still packed like sardines. Something's not right. Something is not right. We all have to start using common sense. We like to laugh at the left because obviously the majority of you can see more than what the lefties can. The lefties don't have a problem with seeing. They just don't want to accept it. It's kind of like, you know, the woman that catches her man with a side piece, right? She walks in, she sees him with the side piece, they're texting or whatever. And she just goes into the kitchen and cooks and pretends like it didn't happen and sucks it up because, you know, her family first and she's just going to do what the good wife does and just continues. You've watched those movies before and you're thinking, are you nuts, lady? Where's your self-respect, right? Um, but that's how the left is. They'd prefer, no, 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 I like my lattes, I like my cubicle, thank you very much. Um, everyone's so peace and quiet. There's a lot of people who are like, I just can't stand the cussing, wait till the bullets start riddling along. Uh, you're going to talk like a sailor soon. A pandemic, where they're okay with firing healthcare staff. A pandemic, where no one is dead yet with masks that don't work. <laughs> a pandemic, stop, where's the common sense? We're entering into a very dangerous era right now. And it is very important that you meet with people among your community where you learn to discern. Keep to yourself.
don't interact with these lefties yet. They will come to you. And that will indeed turn to be very dangerous. The school boards, as you know, the only thing that's being discussed in the Senate is about critical race theory. When we know it's more than just that. I want you to hear what was said about the parents' right to protest over critical race theory, which is just one of many things that parents are protesting. Listen to what they say, because it'll tell you exactly what's coming. Testimony today, and um, thank, thank you for your determined and capable leadership of the Civil Rights Division. Thank, thank you. you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks, Senator Coons. Senator Cruz. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Ms. Clark, when, when you testified before this committee and when Attorney General Garland testified before this committee, you both promised to be nonpartisan and impartial. I'm sorry to say that I think neither of you have lived up to that promise. Within weeks of President Biden being sworn in, the Department of Justice dismissed a civil rights division lawsuit it had against Yale University for explicit racial discrimination. Yale has a policy that discriminates against Asians and Americans in admissions. It does so brazenly and openly. And yet the Department of Justice decided that preventing racial discrimination did not fit within the purview of the Biden DOJ. Now, in your defense, you were not yet there. Neither was Merrick Garland. political operatives of the Biden administration doing what they believed was consistent with the preferences of the president. But just this week, after you were there, after Merrick Garland was there, the Department of Justice issued a memorandum to the FBI instructing them to mobilize against parents across the country, parents of school kids who have the temerity to show up at school boards and express their opposition to the teaching of critical race theory, a pernicious theory that divides us on racial lines, that tells school children the lie that America is fundamentally racist, that America is irredeemably racist, that all white people are racist. It spreads racial division. Many parents are understandably quite dismayed at schools that are teaching this to their children, sometimes as young as five. And yet the Department of Justice looked at that issue and decided to label the parents objecting to this teaching as domestic terrorists. Did you participate in discussions about the memo before it was issued? Um, Senator, I can't talk about internal deliberations. You can't uh, talk about whether you, you participated in discussions about the memo? No, but what I can tell you is that the Civil Rights Division will play a role going forward. The Attorney General has uh, uh, asked the department to undertake a review and the division will participate in that review to determine how federal enforcement tools can be used to prosecute uh, crimes. Do, do, um, do you believe parents objecting to the teaching of critical race theory have civil rights in the democratic process? Uh, I, I don't un I don't follow the question, Senator. You don't understand the question whether parents objecting to critical race theory have civil rights? The, the First Amendment is a core value in our democracy. And uh, they're democratic. They are petitioning your local government. Do they have civil rights that the voting rights gives a damn about? 
yet they have the right to express their view, to uh, challenge uh, the school boards, to ask. And, and is it reforms. beneficial for the attorney general to label them as d- domestic terrorists and direct the FBI to target them? The attorney general's memo deals with threats against public servants and says that threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's core values. Do you believe parents objecting at school boards are domestic terrorists? I don't, Senator. Do you believe Antifa are domestic terrorists? Um, I, I, I don't have a view about Antifa. Or- Do you believe the Black Lives Matter protesters who burned shops, who firebombed police cars, who murdered police officers? Do you believe they're domestic terrorists? Um, Senator, I believe that we live in a society where people espouse different views, but what we don't want are threats. You know, Ms. Clark, it is amazing that you're not willing to condemn people who are murdering police officers and firebombing cities because your politics aligns with them. But at the same time, when it comes to parents at school boards, you're perfectly comfortable with calling a mom at a PTA meeting a domestic terrorist. Ms. Clark, with all due respect, this demonstrates why the Democrat proposal to take someone with as long a partisan record as you have and to put you in charge of striking down any voting rights law in the country that you disagree with is nothing but a partisan power grab. Let me let me give another example, because your division has operated in a purely partisan way. Uh, The Department of Justice dismissed the civil rights lawsuits against the state of New York, the state of Pennsylvania, the state of Michigan for those governor's policies that sent COVID positive patients into nursing homes, forces, forced the nursing homes to take those patients, a decision, a political decision that resulted in tens of thousands of deaths. One of those governors, Andrew Cuomo, has now resigned in disgrace and his staff had admitted they lied under reporting the deaths that policy caused. And yet your division dismissed the lawsuit against those Democratic governors. How are, are we to see that as anything other than a purely partisan decision? The, the letters that uh, were issued to officials in the uh, matters that you referenced were put together by career officials inside the department. Career officials can't be partisan? This department carries out its work free from political... Are are you testifying to this committee that there are no career officials in the Department of Justice who are partisan? Uh, Partisanship. Hold on on to your horses right now, okay? Because I'm going to show you the partisan officials again. I'm going to show you that. You know what we need? We need... And... (laughs) We need President Trump to play this video at um, his rally. Not this one, but listen to what he said. The careers in these offices are not partisan, right? This department carries out its work free from political Are are you testifying to this committee that there are no career officials in the Department of Justice who are partisan? Uh, partisanship does not impact the way that we carry out our Except enforcement miraculously, work. you dismiss the lawsuits against Democratic governors, even when their policies may have caused the deaths of tens of thousands of people. You also dismissed a lawsuit uh, that was brought against a medical center that had a pattern of discriminating against health care providers that, for conscience reasons, didn't want to implement abortions, even though clear federal law protects their civil rights. Why did you dismiss that civil rights lawsuit in, in 
contravention of federal law? Um, General Garland has made clear, and uh, I agree, that partisanship has no place in the enforcement of the Except every decision you make is partisan. So now we're going to dispel that, okay? We're going to dispel that very, very quickly, actually. I'm going to dispel this for you if the damn computer wants to work with me, please. There we go. Oh, I have that. No. Okay. Hold on. Let's do this. I'm going to add this now. Um, wait a minute. Where did I add it to? There we go. Okay. I just need to find my folder. Give me a second. Um, where is it? Because you're going to see the person who's writing your mandates. You're going to see the person that is writing the mandates for your work. I'm going to show you the person that is writing the mandates for your work. Damn it. Where is this? Okay. This is, okay, over here. Let me find it because I've, oops. Gosh darn it. It's like it doesn't want to be my friend. Hold on. There we go. All right, so this is going to be interesting. Ready? Hey, folks. So a few of you, uh, quite a few of you are just joining. Just a reminder to mute your microphone. Probably you want to mute your camera. If you'd like to rename yourself, you can do that by hovering over your picture. So these here are all federal career workers, okay? Federal workers. Hold on, let me get to, oh, um, I just want to point out uh, that was Siza, the blonde chick. This one is Siza. Uh, let me go to where they introduce themselves. You guys should see this. Federal farm co-organized so I can see folks. Um, I'll just start introducing myself. My name is Laura Adams, and I'm a member of Democracy Kitchen, one of the groups that's putting this uh, workshop together. I worked for about uh, four years for USAID, um, and uh, co- This is USAID, okay, okay. Organized with Nadine a couple of, of federal worker rights workshops back uh, at the beginning of this presidency. And so um, I will pass it on to Nadine to introduce herself. Great, thank you, Laura, and really welcome everybody here. I won't take much time. Um, Nadine uh, and I work with Shutdown DC, also one of the hosts of this program and uh, federal for, uh, federal employee myself, really happy to bring this here. We will be dropping links in the chat for the federal guide that you can refer to for more information after this workshop is over. And please do share that widely. Thanks so much, Laura. And I think just to, to kind of limit it, I think I would like Maddie Saltzman to introduce herself because this is also her initiative. Awesome, thanks, Laura. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Maddie Salzman. Um, I'm a management and programs analyst uh, in a federal agency and also a union member. And this chick right here works for SISA. Former organizer. So I'm really excited and heartened to see so many people on the line today. All right. 
Um, there are other people who have, will have, have speaking roles as well. Uh, so uh, I think uh, we'll probably just wait till we get to the, the presentations to let them introduce themselves and keep things rolling here. Um, all right, so the next thing we're gonna look at is a couple of um, sort of the agenda overview. I'm just gonna share my screen and, again. And while Laura is sharing her screen, just so people know, we're very concerned with security on this uh, uh, event tonight. And if you've noticed that it says live on Zoom with rev.com, it's not being broadcast anywhere. This is in fact our closed caption service. And if you would like to have closed captions, uh, in other words, trends, you know, you can read it on the screen. You can click, um, at least on a computer, it's in the bottom level of the Zoom screen. It says closed caption and there's a little menu and you can choose how you see it. So uh, it's not being broadcasted anywhere. <laughs> Just wanted to let people That's know, right. thanks. Okay, so um, I wanted to go over the objectives of this workshop with everyone. Um, we have two main objectives, to explore options for defending democracy in the federal workplace in the event that Trump attempts to steal the election. And then the second objective, very much linked to that one, is that you will leave the workshop with some next steps to prepare for different post-election scenarios and with actions and tactics that you feel comfortable employing in those scenarios. So in other words, this is uh, somewhat of a sort of information sharing, but then also very much an action planning event. So also just to go over the group norms and expectations for behavior of participants in this workshop. Um, first of all, what's learned in the room can leave with you, but what is said in the room stays in the room. And we are um, very much counting on everyone to respect each other's confidentiality. The second principle and norm is, can somebody who has their microphone on mute themselves? Second principle and norm. My echo. <laughs> All right. So the second principle is to assume <laughs> assume good intent from other speakers, but attend to the impact of our words on each other. A little harder to do if our cameras are muted. Uh, <laughs> try do the best we can. Um, listen respectfully. Speak for yourself, not for others. It may be tempting to try and interpret somebody else's experience or um, say what you think they want to say, but please just speak for yourself. Um, and then finally, this meeting is off the record. Uh, recording is not permitted. Uh, and we just expect everyone to, uh, again, what's said in the room stays in the room. So then a couple of notes on your own safety and the safety of the others that you are working with um, tonight. A ton of staying on your role. There's different types of roles in the federal government. And that means that there's different roles that could be appropriate for you to take. Um, and that's something that I think can be lost in some of these conversations. So really important to do some self-reflection on. Next slide. Um, we know that there's lots of ideas for uh, organizing. Um, some items I wanted to highlight. Um, we should continue conversations on direct action and how we can stand in solidarity with others, and especially protesting in other communities. Um, see if you can recruit friends and allies like civil rights groups, unions, and religious organizations to work in coalition. Um, 
classes I have, I think if you can take November 3rd or 4th off of work, many of us have uh, extra user visit time and you can put it yeah. in like democracy. Yeah. Um, I know that's somebody jumping in, but um, there's also lots of other options. We could look towards union participation and you can email fedsfordemocracy at gmail.com to stay informed and help organize. And there, somebody asked, what can we do on November 4th? Um, we'll have more information about that coming up, but there are lots of events happening in DC and throughout the rest of the country already. Next slide. All right, so um, we will. So Maria Stefan, DOD linked to Esper, Yesper. Look at what she says. We'll spend more time talking about what can happen on November 3rd and 4th. Um, but I think one thing that's important that I'll just mention now is, um, you know, there's things we can't do on our work hours, but taking leave means you are not on your work hours. <laughs> taking leave gives you the flexibility and the possibility to be involved in other activities that are going on. But with that, I'll pass it back to Laura. Well, and I'll just pass it on to Maria Stefan, our next speaker. And don't forget to introduce yourself, Maria. Great, will do. Can everyone hear me okay? All right. Um, well, thanks, uh, Laura and Maddie, and hi, everyone. It is um, really great to be with you all in solidarity during this um, critical junction for our country. Uh, by way of uh, brief background, I've spent the past two decades focused on uh, what Representative John Lewis referred to as authoritarians around the world have attempted to steal elections, um, and I've with food loyalties to get them to move from the center to the outside. Um, and as we know, and as Maddie, um, you know, laid out. Here's your fifth column. Pay attention. So nicely, bureaucracy is a really powerful pillar. And, you know, federal workers have unparalleled familiarity with the bureaucratic process. They know how to speed things up. They know how to slow them down. They have access to critical information about policies that are being considered and implemented. They can participate in internal decision making. They can provide or deny knowledge and expertise that those um, at the top of the bureaucratic uh, totem pole need, essentially is just, you know, um, exhibiting the utmost intent. So the next person, Sarah Barrett, she's the one that's crafting your mandatory vaccines for military and all businesses. Pay attention. Integrity and professionalism during this period and being the ultimate public servant while uh, using your First Amendment rights uh, to protect the integrity of our election and really to uphold our democracy. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. Let me just remind folks, there's actually a super interesting conversation going on in chat. So if you don't have your chat window open, you're missing it. Click on the little speech bubble at the bottom of your screen. Also, don't forget, if you have questions, you can put them in chat and the facilitators are going to keep track of questions for um, after the next speaker, who is Sarah Sterrett. Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you. Um... Laura and Maria, that was really excellent. Thank you so much for that presentation. I, I have to say, as an attorney in the federal government, um, I, I am finding the chat uh, suggestions very interesting. And I just do want to remind people that we lose our status as federal employees if we strike. Uh, but as my sister Sarah Harper pointed out, we could do an informational picket at lunchtime. Um, you know, so there are things you can do that, that will get you visibility. 
um, if you do them carefully and you do them at lunchtime, you probably won't get fired. So that would be my sort of initial thing is probably don't get fired like right away unless you're ready to quit your job. If you're ready to quit your job, you know, that's a whole nother thing. Um, so can everyone see me and hear me? I can't see myself, so I don't know. Yes, we can. Okay, good. All right, so I just want to go through some real quick do's and don'ts. Um, I am an attorney, but I am not your attorney. This is not legal advice. Do not say Sarah told me to do this, so it was okay. All right, I will deny that I ever said it. So just be aware, those of you who, who know me already, um, you should always get legal advice if you're going to take a risky action. Um, and you can probably talk to a union or a whistleblower um, agency or a um, private lawyer, uh, you know, get some ideas maybe from Nadine or Laura, you know, just run it by somebody before you do anything that's going to get you fired. At least at this point in time, I'm feeling very vulnerable as a federal worker, so I just really don't want to get us all fired like, you know, the first day. Okay, so here's some do's and don'ts. Um, can you go to the next slide, Laura? So this woman, Sarah, with the manly voice, is at the Department of Labor as senior counsel. She, under the Biden administration, is the one that is crafting your vax mandates. You know, the stuff that they're going to put in and OSHA's waiting for. She's the one that told the Department of Labor to not pay out. She's the one that's doing it, yet she is right here working on orchestrating this federal coup. I hope you guys are paying attention. Our oath is to the Constitution, not to any individual, not to a politician, not to a political appointee, not even to an SES or a manager. Um, we still have the First Amendment, so we have the right to free speech. We have the right to assemble. We have the right to petition our Congress people. Um, in many of our agencies, we also have an inspector general we have an ethics office. Um, we have uh, whistleblower uh, people that we could go to if we feel the need to blow the whistle. There are legal ways, uh, you know, to speak in a in a formal way. But at least as a general rule, uh, we have the right to do political action outside the workplace, just like we're doing right now. We can do and say pretty much anything we want, um, but we can't do it uh, on federal property during working hours using government equipment. Okay, so that's really probably the most important thing. Um, I've been doing a lot of uh, voter protection, election protection hotline volunteer activity in the last month or so. And if I'm doing it for a nonpartisan civil rights group like the Lawyers Committee, you know, then I can get leave to do it uh, and I can still get paid. I can do it as a pro bono activity for the federal government. But if I'm working for the Biden campaign doing the exact same thing, I cannot because that is partisan, partisan political activity. So that's really what the Hatch Act does, is it sets up a very uh, bright line between partisan activity, uh, which you cannot do in the workplace or on federal property or during duty hours, um, it, but you can do on your own time. So if you're on annual leave, for example, um, or after work. Um, so the most important thing is do not use federal property equipment. Or, that's not a partisan political statement. If you say Trump should lose, that is a partisan political statement. But if you say his makeup looked ugly, I think that's okay. Thank you so much for that. Um, yes, especially if you're in the in that kind of business, I think that's a reasonable thing to say. So um, uh, there are some calls for talking about the executive order, um, particularly the one that was just signed. So I'm wondering um, if you if uh, 
Maddie or Sarah wants to continue answering or Erica. Um, and also I'll just encourage people, you can ask questions of any of our three panelists uh, at this point. So feel free to keep writing things in. So this one is about who'd like to talk about the executive order that was just signed. Well, I'll just say really briefly, it's terrible. It's horrible in every way, but we don't really know how broad the impact is going to be. It's going to take some time to um, figure out, you know, how broadly they're going to try to uh, attack us. We just don't know yet. Um, but if you have a union in your workplace, you should be talking to them already about what jobs you have and what jobs are at risk. Yeah. And NTU um, has already filed a lawsuit. Yeah. So there's lawsuits going on. I think that's great. Um, I'm definitely not an expert in this executive order. There's other people that have a lot more baseline knowledge than I do, but I'll just add that if you look at the language, um, the executive order calls for a list of recommended positions for um, becoming Schedule F. Um, and and then do you want to pass it on to one of the other folks in the yeah, chat? Yeah, I guess to, to Susan. Susan, if you're speaking, you're on mute. Um, Here's where we almost got busted. Not Susan. Call it Susan to talk. Oh, God, sorry. Yeah, Susan's not responding Molly. I guess it's I not guess. working. I thought I heard Susan for a second. I don't want to jump on. Looks like her sound may not be working at the moment. Is my sound working? Yeah, we can hear you, Molly. How, okay. bad, right. how badass was that, right? Okay, yeah. So, so Sorry, not working. That her sound isn't working. All right. Um, well, I am, I guess I'm Molly, and um, I've been a federal employee in a couple of different services uh, for about 28 years, and I work in the national security community. And um, I just, I tell people that my, you know, oath to the constitution is about the only thing I've managed to be faithful to for my entire life. And, you know, I am just really nervous about what's going to happen. So, and my favorite dessert is probably those weird little like mochi cakes with red bean filling. I love those. <laughs> And do you want to pass it on to somebody who hasn't spoken yet? Okay, yeah, that's right. I see that Susan likes pumpkin pie, and um, she's trying to figure out her mic, and um, I will pass on to B in the meantime. Thanks. Uh, hi, guys. I am B. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I am not currently a federal, federal worker. However, I am um, in the process of searching for a new job and have been applying to a lot of federal jobs, so I figured you know, be prepared before I get into it rather than having to figure it out. You know what? If President Trump during his next rally plays this shit, that section of that lawyer, that Sarah dude, right? And says, hey, that's the person. Look, they're organizing a federal coup before the elections last year. That's the person that's telling all the businesses that you have to get a vaccine and that you have to do all these things. I mean, it would be game over. I mean, he should put her on a fucking jumbotron. I think, uh, you know, my my very good friend who suggested that uh, would have been uh, pretty incredible, right? Pretty incredible if he would put that on a jumbotron and just show it. 
So one thing uh, that uh, I found out was in, in Arkansas, the school district that um, uh, the, the county court that just struck down the mask mandates was uh, from the from the people in the Tory Says Arkansas group. So proud of them. They got that going. I just wanted to point that out. Um, that's pretty incredible. Uh, I'm, I'm so proud of them. It's just incredible. Uh, after today's ruling, uh, they're going, it's just a partial win and they know it. Uh, but after today's ruling, there's going to be a lot more going on. Uh, they're fighting it. So I'm really proud of Arkansas right now. Uh, you know, they're one of our smallest groups and yet, you know, congratulations, uh, uh, to all of them for getting that, um, federal lawsuit in there, uh, within their area and getting it struck down. So that was incredible. Now, why did I show you this? Everything that you're seeing is completely scripted. But we've got two directors, the directors that want pure domination and then using the script of the director that wants pure freedom. <laughs> I mean, if you're the person that wrote the script for both, right, then, I mean, your chances of winning are way higher because you already know how their story ends. And that'll make your story, which is their counter story, a lot better. And this is why I started to post it on Instagram so that way I can get to other normies rather just than just Telegram. I'm using my Instagram uh, to kind of share your pictures, your videos, um, to be pushing it forward. Um, people need to know that you guys are the heroes of our story. Uh, this is what's incredible. I am, uh, you know, so proud of each and every one of you. You know, what's funny, kind of like Susan here, he, she, she, her. What if the script was written under, I don't know, Bruce Wayne's name and not Batman's. Does it count? <laughs> Does it count? I mean, the only way you can beat an opponent at fencing is when you pick up that little tiny stupid sword and get in the ring with them. So the way you would win a fencing war is to actually get into the ring with a fencing sword, right? That's how you win. You play their game. But you know, it's really messed up when the game's rigged against them because you ride it out so perfectly and they think it's so amazing. But does it really look amazing to you right now? They look insane. They're trying to confirm terrorists. They have someone that was organizing treasonous activities using their position as senior counsel at the Department of Employment and Labor. <laughs> right? Get this. To orchestrate a federal coup. And now that same person is writing your <laughs> uh, <laughs> the actual documentation, which, by the way, still hasn't dropped, uh, to force companies to vaccinate you. And at the same time, they're still playing the fiddle. Like, yeah, we're totally winning. Yeah, we're in charge. They're not in charge. They've lost complete control. Because as they're driving, the script says the road is ending now, and you get a barrier. It's a dead end. And they're just trying to figure out, well, there wasn't a dead end there before. Yeah, probably because you skipped over that part. <laughs> probably didn't pay attention. Probably did not see how that was going to play out. That's the way you win. You infiltrate. Just like that. 
infiltration. Best way to get things done. I mean, Project Veritas, you know, today we've been all about whistleblowers, right? Whistleblower, whistleblower, whistleblower. Fake ones too. Embraced by the media. Look at us embracing whistleblowers. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Facebook would have had her taken out in a heartbeat if she was a real whistleblower. Get out of my face. Get out of here. You think we don't know what's going on? Stop it. But here's the real whistleblower. A real whistleblower that actually gets money raised. You know, they raised a GoFundMe for the fake whistleblower. Gets money raised, right? They get fired for those that actually whistleblow. Here we have leaks of executive emails exposing the suppression of COVID vax info from the public. This just dropped today. Let's take a listen. Propaganda, a new book by James O'Keefe. now at AmericanMuckRaker.com. I work at a pharmaceutical company. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Um, I just believe in research and science. Well, in this database, you came across a chain of emails discussing fetal tissue and the COVID vaccine. Vanessa Gelman, who works in Washington, D.C., is senior director of Worldwide Research. The question came up as an inquiry to our MedInfo group. They're asking, quote, did Pfizer make use of a cell line from an aborted fetus? They want you to leave out the highlighted part, which is the one or more cell lines with an origin that can be traced back to human fetal tissue has been used in laboratory tests associated with the vaccine program. And here we have your badge. You are an employee of Pfizer? I work at the McPherson, Kansas plant. Um, it's one of the biggest plants in the operation of Pfizer. We produce some of the most units. This message from Vanessa Gilman. From the perspective of corporate affairs, we want to avoid having the information on the fetal cell lines floating out there. We believe that the risk of communicating this right now outweighs any potential benefit that we could see, particularly with general members of the public who may take this information and use it in ways we may not want it out there. We have not received any questions from policymakers or media on this issue in the last few weeks, so we want to avoid raising this if possible. Wow. We believe that the risk of communicating this right now outweighs any potential benefit we could see. They ought to put that on American currency. Philip Dormitzer, Vice President, Chief Scientific Officer. These are not low-level people here. So you're showing us emails between the Vice President of Pfizer, the Senior Director of Worldwide Research, mm -hmm. about how to couch it a certain way because we would not want to tell the people that it can be traced back to human fetal tissue. Copying Vanessa Gelman, we have an approved answer to this question, the question being about fetal tissue. Mm -hmm which Vanessa can probably provide, H-E-K-2932. What does that mean, HEC cells? Uh, human embryo kidney cells, okay. and it was from experiment 293. They've used cells from aborted fetuses. Yes, And HEC they don't cells. want the public to know that. Yes. That's staggering for society because of what you said, religious exemptions. Mm -hmm. And they're denying our religious exemptions at Pfizer. This is serious stuff you're, you're, you're dealing with. These are, these are powerful people. A very powerful company. They're withholding knowledge on people's approval if they can consent or not. From Sarah Elizabeth Weiser, the principal scientist. Uh, she's just making sure, you know, uh, just be clear. You would like medical information to reply with the text in red below, including the highlighted section. Okay. Thanks again. And then they responded, responded with, uh, with. No, I would prefer that we do not use <laughs> the text in yellow. Um, they're being so deceptive in their emails. It's almost like it is in the final vaccine. It just made me not trust it. There was an issue with the FDA. and I heard something about they're doing some sort of tests in there with lights, but I'm not sure. And I said, in unoccupied rooms and in a group lead office? And he goes, well, the FDA is coming. 
I could not believe that they were blacking out windows down in our manufacturing rooms. We are told that you should be seen at all times, that we need to make sure that yeah. um, we have high integrity and the, the rooms that are like this one where you can see my reflection, it's a group lead office mm -hmm. where they just do the paperwork for the batches. Mm -hmm. So why does that need blacked out? And why did you decide to come to Project Veritas? Because I felt it was the right thing to do. I feel like I have no one else to turn to when my own company won't be honest with me. What I was told to do was to trust Project Veritas and to go with you guys by lawmakers, by lawyers. Really? I was really genuinely traumatized and sickened from the things I saw and I needed to leave there. So I just took a leave of absence so that I could gather my thoughts and really kind of heal from this information. The extraordinary act of blowing the whistle on the company and publishing emails from their vice president is another step entirely. Are you, are you afraid of doing this? A little bit. I, I have faith that I'll be protected or whatever the outcome is, is what it's supposed to be. So I, I'm at peace with it. I'm a little anxious on what they'll do or what they'll say, but it needs to be seen by the people because they're trying to get this to kids. And if they're being this deceptive about it, I don't feel comfortable being silent. The government doesn't want to show that the darn vaccine is full of shit. It's the registry of the people who are vaccinated. That's sounding very Germany. I'm going to go door to door and stab everyone. How much is your booster shot? She didn't want to take it because of her religious beliefs. She was coerced into taking it. They are not reported because they want to... I want you to leave out the highlighted part, which is the one or more cell lines with an origin that can be traced back to human fetal tissue has been used in laboratory tests associated with the vaccine program. Why did you decide to come to Project Veritas? I felt it was the right thing to do. I feel like I have no one else to turn to when my own company won't be honest with me. I just didn't know who else to turn to. And here we have your badge. You are an employee of Pfizer? Yes. And where, where exactly do you work? I work at the McPherson, Kansas plant. It's one of the biggest plants in the operation of Pfizer. We produce some of the most units. We handle the product daily. Uh, quality gets to see the process from fill to pack. So we see everything. How long have you worked there? Uh, going on 10 years, but I've been in quality for five. Tell us about what you saw that concerned you accidentally honestly was going to do a google search on our uh, computer implant and i must have clicked the wrong box on our home page and searched in our database instead and i saw reports of what i had searched for and i'd click them and then i realized that they were internal documents on our internal pfizer database in this database you came across a chain of emails discussing fetal tissue and the covid vaccine tell us about that what was troubling to me was they were wanting to keep it under wraps. They didn't really want the information out there that they were using the um, hex cells um, to do the study. Um, they're being so deceptive in their emails, it's almost like it is in the final vaccine. Um, they're just being really deceptive and they're being careful with their words and it just made me not trust it. Vanessa Gelman, who works in Washington, D.C., is Senior Director of Worldwide Research, advocates talking to Vanessa and says, um, the question came up as an inquiry to our MedInfo group. They're asking, quote, did Pfizer make use of a cell line from an aborted fetus when carrying out any tests? This is after we'd already confirmed with the customer that no cell lines from an aborted fetus were used. Vanessa wrote February 4th of this year. Thanks so much. Who is this information for? We, we have been trying as much as possible to not mention the fetal cell lines. So we would really like to stay focused on the first part if possible. 
This is what we have said most recently through inquiries received via our board of directors and through direct emails to Michael Dolston. The piece in yellow we have tried really hard to not share unless it's strictly necessary and mission critical. The acceptable phrase you're allowed to say is the human fetal derived cell lines are not used to produce our investigational vaccine, which consists of synthetic and enzymatically produced components. But then they want you to leave out the highlighted part, which is the one or more cell lines with an origin that can be traced back to human fetal tissue has been used in laboratory tests associated with the vaccine program. I mean, this is pretty, they're trying to keep this secret from the public. They don't want to stir up a mess. They don't want to have to deal with people who are upset because I think people can use religious exemptions for it and they don't want that. I think they want uh, to nobody to have an excuse to not get it. They've used cells from aborted fetuses. Yes. And they don't cells. want the public to know that. Yes. And, and that, that's staggering for society because of what you said, religious exemptions. Mm-hmm. And they're denying our religious exemptions at Pfizer. And this could change that because people who have religious views, that mm-hmm. certainly changes the game, doesn't it? Yes. These are powerful people and a very powerful company. They're withholding knowledge on people's approval if they can consent or not. They don't want people getting religious exemptions. They want everyone to take everything. Copying Vanessa Gelman, we have an approved answer to this question, the question being about fetal tissue. Mm-hmm which Vanessa can probably provide, H-E-K-2932. What does that mean, HEC cells? Uh, Human embryo kidney cells, and it was from experiment 293. On the other hand, the Vatican Doctrinal Committee has confirmed that they consider it acceptable for pro-life believers to be immunized. He's basically saying, why don't we just say it? The Vatican's already said that they have no excuse to not take it if it's Mm -hmm. in there. Like, he's like, why aren't we just, you know, being honest kind of things, how I read it. So what's one. the difference between this approved answer, hex cells used for IV are ultimately derived from abortive fetus, and the other one they're trying to keep secret? Well, it's almost like they are doing a script. They're sticking mm-hmm. to a script. Like, we've had this approved, this verbiage is approved, so this is what we need to stick to, when rather they should just be making it as clear and easy to understand for the population so that they can make informed decisions on this. You're showing us emails between the vice president of Pfizer, the senior director of worldwide research, mm-hmm. about how to couch it a certain way, because we would not want to tell the people that it can be traced back to human fetal tissue. We have tried really hard to not share, quote, one or more cell lines back to human fetal tissue. From Vanessa Gelman to the vice president of Pfizer, A lot of people go to medical information, so I would prefer, if possible, we respond with what we have consistently said. We wouldn't like to have any inconsistency out there, particularly with information that has been shared with policymakers and the media. So what I gathered from this was, we've already made a statement, we have to stick to that. We can't stray because it'll make us look bad. This is the principal scientist in Massachusetts, and what happens here? Uh, She's just making sure, you know, uh, just be clear, you would like medical information to reply with the text in red below, including the highlighted section. Thanks again. And then they responded with with, No, I would prefer that we do not use the text in yellow. (laughs) Don't be that honest, just a little honest. Vanessa Gelman is sending this note saying, she does really not want you to, to know mm-hmm. that they're using More uh, than one. cell lines from human fetal tissue. I received last night a similar request via Laura Payne. So there are multiple executives in Pfizer asking Vanessa Gelman. 
So they just can't be honest with us. There's something that Vanessa says involving the Facebook campaign. I completely understand, but I just want to make sure we are responding to a legitimate request and not to a request that may ignite a Facebook campaign on this that we may ultimately need to manage. They don't want people making awareness, I guess, they don't, what they're doing. They're afraid <laughs> of the people being aware of this. Yeah. And it really, this one's interesting because it shows you that they ultimately fear the people on social media knowing this. Mm -hmm. It's almost like they, this is what they fear the most. Yeah. The they want people out. to take their vaccine. Yeah. Right. Right. It's interesting that, that Facebook, too, is censoring anything that's critical of this vaccine. And factual. Like, uh, when I'm an employee and I make an opinion, I get fact-checked. I mean, this, <laughs> this very interview will may be censored or banned. They're probably going to label these screenshots of the vice president, the chief scientist, Pfizer, and your comments as misinformation. And your response to them is? I've worked there 10 years. I've been trained there. Uh, there's no way. Uh, I know the process. I love my job. I know my training. Uh, this message from Vanessa Gilman, CCing all these executives. What, what, what are we looking at here? She just says things like, thanks so much for everybody for keeping us in on the loop. From the perspective of corporate affairs, we want to avoid having the information on the fetal cell lines floating out there. As you can all appreciate, we are communicating on this vaccine across multiple fronts and managing issues that arise. In this heated environment of heightened scrutiny on every detail of our vaccine, we would like to avoid creating an opportunity to raise an issue. We believe that the risk of communicating this right now outweighs any potential benefit that we could see, particularly with general members of the public who may take this information and use it in ways we may not want it out there. We have not received any questions from policymakers or media on this issue in the last few weeks, so we want to avoid raising this if possible. Wow. We believe that the risk of communicating this right now outweighs any potential benefit we could see. They ought to put that on American currency. That's the final decision from Phil Dormitzer. The statement has, has been, been extensively, extensively vetted. vetted. Best, Phil Dormitzer, vice president, who there was an issue with the FDA and windows being being a great out. My last day there, um, I took a mental health leave of absence after this from my job because I was sickened and traumatized from a lot of the things that I realized were going on. It really upset me and it shook me. I could not believe that they were blacking out windows down in our manufacturing rooms. Why would they want to do that? Well, I was wondering that as well, especially because they're rooms that there's no need for that. Like where they tell us, you know, make sure you can be seen at all times for integrity purposes, you know? And so when I saw they were blacking out windows in group lead offices and in uh, unoccupied fill rooms, I thought it was odd. So I raised it to in someone in AQ, which is aseptic quality. And I said, hey, do you know why they're blacking out windows down in manufacturing? And he said, well, the FDA is coming. So, you know, I have a friend who, you know, says, I don't know why everyone's making this so political science. You know, the people are so divided on this issue. What, what do you say to the people who are pro-vaccine, who are not in the pharmaceutical industry? They're just regular people in New York City who think you got to take that vaccine. Stop making it political. It shouldn't be political, but they're making it political. The media and the government's making it political. But this isn't about Republican, Democrat or liberal or conservative. This is informed consent on injecting something inside of you from a company that's called it a experimental vaccine. This is about when you see something that's being done that you don't think is right and exposing it.
I don't know if anyone's ever done this before. I mean, I, I don't see much investigative reporting into big pharma, certainly not, not emails from executives. Are you afraid to be a current Pfizer employee blowing the whistle on Pfizer? Yeah, I'm a little anxious and nervous at what they may think or do. Um, I was, I was really genuinely traumatized and sickened from the things I saw and I needed to leave there. Um, but I didn't want to quit because I didn't know what to do. I, I just didn't know what to do. So I just took a leave of absence so that I could gather my thoughts and really kind of heal from this information. You've taken leave of absence, but the extraordinary act of blowing the whistle on the company and publishing emails from their vice president is another step entirely. Are you are you afraid of doing this? A little bit, um, but I, I have faith that I'll be protected or whatever the outcome is, is what it's supposed to be. So I, I'm at peace with it. I'm a little anxious on what they'll do or what they'll say, but it needs to be seen by the people because they're trying to get this to kids. And if they're being this deceptive about it, I don't feel comfortable being silent while they're trying to get it to babies who can't talk. What do you think? the reaction will be to this? I pray that it unites us, that we can look and go, what are they doing? Like, why, what do they think they're doing to us? Why do they think that they can just say this to us and make us take something when they're not even honest about what they're doing or what's in it? And, and your husband here is, is on set with us. I won't mention his name, but what does he think about what you're doing? When I started to notice some things, I'd, I'd mention them and he'd say, you know, well, you know, don't worry about it. You know, I'm sure it's nothing. And we, I work at a pharmaceutical company. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Um, I just believe in research and science and stuff like that. And so I was waiting, waiting to get the vaccine just to see the scientific results, to see how it goes. And once I showed him what I had found and once I told him what I had found, I got nothing but love and support. Uh, and why didn't you go to the New York Times or uh, the Washington Post, which tagline is democracy dies in darkness? They seem like they do decent work. And also, why not go to Congress with this information? Well, I've spoken to lawyers. Uh, I've spoken to people. And this is what I was told to do was to trust Project Veritas and to go with you guys by lawmakers, by lawyers. Really? Mm -hmm. Whistleblower lawyers told me that some things are better leaked to the media than doing it the other way. I think this just needs to get out there so that people can realize we're being deceived. Lawyers told you to come to Veritas. Yes. Whistleblower people told you yeah. to come to Veritas. They said if I go the route with them, the lo the lawyers, it could be three three years before this comes out. And that was from someone in the DOJ. So DOJ individual told yes. you to do that under mm -hmm. the Biden administration. Uh, he was in there 17 years. He's not uh, there now, but he was for 17 years, and he advised that I bring this to you guys because. It could take years, and if they're trying to get this to kids soon, it's just it's not going to be enough time. Is there anything else you want to say on the record? There's going to be millions yeah. of people that watch this. I'd like to say something to Pfizer. You guys are very adamant about integrity and making sure that things are done right and that things are always double-checked. But I'm just one person, one face of many of your employees who are willing to fight this and reveal to the world what's going on. And all we want is for you to be transparent and honest with us and do the right thing. So now that was a real whistleblower. See, it speaks volumes when there's people within the Department of Justice. I've told you not all of them are bad. 
right? Not all of them are bad. <laughs> but those that are doing things are not good. <sighs> Some of them. So remember that when, you know, you hear things to end this vaccine series, listen to this. And I want you to think of Pharma Bro, who's in jail. Get a lot of questions from people, and that is children. Where are we in the process of getting a vaccine approved for children? Are we within days or maybe a couple of weeks? Well, as you know, when you talk about children at different ages, uh, for the Pfizer vaccine, certainly, what we have is a approval to be able to give vaccines from children 12 years old and older. Right now, a study was done to look at the safety, the immunogenicity, and the potential effectiveness of vaccines for children who are five years to 11 years, and even younger, but for the purposes of discussion, the five to 11 elementary school kids. Those data have been accumulated. The advisory committee to the FDA, which is called VERPAC, will be meeting uh, in a few weeks to go over those data and to discuss it. That final decision will depend, David, on the very careful examination of that data for what we call the safety, immunogenicity, efficacy, or what the benefit-risk ratio is in giving approval. So I can't predict if and when there will be approval, but the only thing we do know is that the advisory committee meeting with the FDA will take place in a couple of weeks. So, so Doctor, you have said to us throughout this process that it can't be anything more important than the safety of what we're doing as well as the efficacy of it. So I'm not trying to rush it. I want to make sure it's being done right. At the same time, people are eager just to set realistic expectations. And we don't know how the study will come out and what the FDA will do. But realistically, are we really talking about the end of the year? Could it be as early as Thanksgiving, do you think? You know, David, it could be, again, it, it's given the environment in which we are and living right now, that if you say one thing, it immediately gets taken completely out of context. You're getting ahead of the FDA or not. Let's let the process play out. There are certain things that I can say for sure is that the FDA's advisory committee, VERPAC, are looking at the data and will meet with the FDA very likely in the next couple of weeks. How long that takes for a decision for the FDA, the only thing I could say is the FDA takes that very seriously. They will do it as carefully and as and as expeditiously as they possibly can. Now we'll continue this tomorrow, but I want you guys to remember the FDA had McKinsey advising them while they were advising these pharmaceutical companies. I want you to also remember that the FDA expedited things to push them ahead and selected President Biden, right, clearly said that too. He clearly said, well, we were waiting on the FDA and they came through. So that way they can force people to take the vaccine. Again, it's a pretty big deal. Now, um, I know a lot of people have removed 
um, some old interviews that I did. This is like 2017, 2016. I told you I wrote for the Huffington Post. There's a there's a good ton of information I've been putting out for years that people have been uh, burying. I know that PsyOps actually found the Hagman ones, which I couldn't believe that Hagman would just totally delete it when it was a wealth of information for people. And I was kind of getting ready. Uh, I was getting people ready to understand how disease and how science is being used and what it is. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard it before. It was from 2017, the summer of 2017. If I remember, it's like July where I was talking about propaganda and the NDAA uh, didn't delve um, really into it. But, you know, I was kind of shocked that um, Hackman removed it and didn't have my back considering, you know, he knows um, how these uh, things work. Uh, I would have to just assume because it was kind of close when his, you know, son passed away and that he didn't want trouble, but it's, it's really bizarre how something so fruitful with information that's so pertinent even today, uh, was removed. Uh, that was a, a, a pretty, pretty big deal. Um, uh, it's, it's, it, it is, <laughs> it really is. And, I kind of was trying to prime the audiences that had ears to hear and eyes to see. So, um, you know, I, I believe that he's a person that looks for truth. And I believe he just wanted to disassociate with that massive smear campaign. But that's okay. I'm okay with it. At least somewhere it was buried and it was found. Um And I know that um Cy had found it and and I shared it. So they can hear it. It's from 2017. I, I was telling you what they do. I, it's not like I'm someone that just jumped on the train because Trump appeared. <laughs> I'm just saying it was way before that. The Internet Bill of Rights way before that. Mm. The issues that we have way before that. So, um, you know, it's important that we understand uh, where truth stands. And the only way that you can see it is obviously when the past proves the future, right? Past shows prove future now. Uh, on that note, uh, I wanted to uh, bid you guys a great evening. I wanted you guys to remember, I know you don't see it, but we are actually winning, okay? We are. I know you don't see it though, but we totally, totally are. And to keep your head up, I mean, Arkansas today had a win, uh, which was fantastic, fantastic. But um, we're going to have a lot more wins coming, and hopefully, it'll be it'll be something that um, you could tell your kids about. I mean, you can already tell your kids that you were one of the warriors in this revolution. And that's what's important because you are the heroes of our story. You are the heroes. Have a wonderful evening, guys. God bless. Dear God, thank you for leading me down this path. I'm thankful for the man that I am. At first, I did.
didn't understand Now I see the tribulations that I faced were all part of the plan I tried to walk away, I wasn't whole You fill the gap inside my heart and let me know I had a soul I was bleeding on the inside, nobody could see Then I looked into the mirror, he was staring back at me Now I gotta say, I was lost, where'd I go? Now I'm here, glory road, child of God, not a sheep Lost my way, came on home, used to think the world was cold And I was fighting all alone until I made that call And heard his voice and touch right through that phone All my pain, all my stress, had it to the dumb neglect I used to take my burdens and disperse around to all my friends Anger and frustration was a means, but never to an end Until you picked me up and took that weight right up on my chest The child of God, nothing more, nothing less Born sinner, not by choice, but also born blessed I could feel the pressure building up and choking at my neck Then God told me take a breath and he would handle all the rest I'm not a stranger to evil, I've done wrong to people I've told lies, but in his eyes I am still equal My words weaponize, bars save lives, they lethal and take off in the sky, spread wings like eagles My life's an open book, something for the world to see People watching what I do, so I'm careful of words I speak Came up as a child, I never thought that this was what I'd be But now that it's my path, I swear to God that I won't fail to leave Speaking positivity with every single breath I breathe Working up to God, I'm on my hands and down on my knees Asking him to grant me with the strength in this world of greed To be the person that will have a shoulder when they need to leave Promises I made to you, God, yes, I will keep May not be who they want, but I'm making what they need Rose from the dirt in the middle of the concrete and bloom to a tree to create and disperse seeds. Impact is what I bleed, won't fall for anything. I answer to God, I don't answer to no human being. I am not a slave, I am not the devil nor a fiend. I'm a child of God, just like you. We on the same team. Grab my hand, stand up, I won't leave you. You need me just as much as I need you. Fight these battles with me, I promise that you will see through and stand tall over things beneath you. Child of God, he is I. And you are him. To see God, we must first look within. Nowhere else, no place, no human, no race, just us and faith till we meet again. It's Dax. We're all created in God's image. Each and every single one of us.